out of sight. Greetings, friends and family, possible enemies, um, maybe aliens, if, if you guys listen to podcasts too. Um, aliens, if you're listening, I swear not every podcast is like this. There are some that are like really good quality, but um, anyway, this is the Complete Sentences podcast. This is our podcast, and we like it. You know, we like the way it sounds, so there. My name is Rocky. Um, man, today we have an awesome show. We have Lance Mannion, the... Uh, as I like to call him, the hardest working man in show business because the guy puts out like three books a year, it seems like. He's always got a new book coming out, but that's great because uh, they're fun reads and it always gives us a, a reason to talk to him because it's it's fun catching up and this is actually his third appearance on the show, so he is our most returned guest. Today I'm going to talk to him about his new book, The Song Between Her Legs, which is available for free ebook download on lancemanion.com. But we're also going to be talking about the way we read books now and pretty much how everything is changing and the publishers, the big publishers are getting uh, afraid and it's just a wild time out there. So we're going to talk about that and we're also going to be talking about some major world issues. We're going to tackle those and who knows, possibly solve them. But that's all coming up just a little bit later, so stick around for that interview. And let me apologize right off the bat if I sound a little groggy. It's... Going on about 2 a.m. here, and I cannot sleep tonight. I, I'm i in a lot of pain. I recently I, I fractured one of my toes, and I know that doesn't really sound like anything that's too extreme, but for anyone that has, has ever gone through something like that, it can be really painful. So uh, my foot's just been kind of throbbing. I couldn't get any sleep, so I decided to come up and, uh, you know, record this podcast, but... I posted something on Twitter about breaking my toe, and someone wrote me back, asked me what happened, so I figured I would share it with everybody on the podcast, because that's actually kind of a silly story, but um, my mom was over for her birthday, and she lives, I guess it's probably about an hour away, so she came up, we went to Outback Steakhouse, we got the Bloomin' Onion, it was a, it was a beautiful evening, I mean, of course, we got entrees with that, too. We we had the Bloomin' Onion as an appetizer, but really, you go to Outback Steakhouse to get the Bloomin' Onion, you know? Anything else that you talk about outside of that is kind of frivolous, I, I think. So, anyways, I'm, I'm rambling on about that. We left the place. It was great. We came back to my apartment, and we were just going to hang out. Um, Mom was going to step outside on my uh, balcony, I guess, to have a smoke, so... My apartment's set up. It's a it's like a two story townhome type deal, but upstairs where the studio is sort of overlooks the living room, so it's it's got kind of a loft thing going on, and the loft directly faces the patio door. So she stepped outside. I was going to uh, take a shower, so I come upstairs. Um, I'm gonna go in, take a shower, do all that stuff. So she's outside. I figure, well, I think it's kind of safe right now. I can, I can probably just get undressed right here. And then, cause I'm just going to be out here for like a fucking second. And then I'm going to go into the bathroom and get this shower going. Okay. So I take off my shirt. I'm getting my, my, my pants down. And then I think to myself, should I go all the way and just do the boxers too? Because, you know, I wanted to throw the dirty clothes outside of the bathroom. Okay. And then I, I, think about it twice. And then I'm like, you know what? I got time to do it because she just went outside. She's not going to wrap it up that quickly. So off with the boxers. Now, the one wrinkle of the story that I, I didn't even think about at the time, but it's pretty pivotal. And I need to mention that now is that after we got back from out, 
Outhouse. I'm sorry. <laughs> we eat at Outhouse whenever we don't have money to go to Outback. So I'm getting the two confused. I eat at Outhouse more frequently than I do Outback. Okay, so whenever we get back from Outback Steakhouse, my girlfriend decides that she's going to do some laundry. So she takes um, a load of laundry right down to the laundromat, which is like a block away. So she goes and does that. And then in the meantime, looking back in the past, mom then goes outside. I come upstairs to take a shower. Okay, so now fast forward to where we were, where I think about taking off my boxers. I go ahead and I do it. Boxers are off. I turn around, and as soon as I turn around, I hear the door close. And I fucking freak out, and I think, oh shit, mom came back in. I gotta go, I gotta go. So I take off running for the bathroom, top speed. And as I do, I crashed my toe right in the corner of the door. So as that happened, I found out that it was my girlfriend actually coming in with the laundry in the front door. So now I am yelling and jumping up and down, which causes my mom to come inside. And I, of course, I'm still naked. Okay, so I went from maybe not letting my mom get a glimpse of me for a second naked to now I'm naked, jumping up and down, making a scene. And yeah, so that was it. Then she saw it, she saw me naked, and I fucking had to hop back into the bathroom. And it was totally embarrassing. I wasn't able to look at her for a while, even though I know she's seen me naked when I was a baby. But, you know, you never want mom to see you naked now. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was eventful. And now I have a broken toe because of it. And my mom has seen me naked. So, that was the story. Wow. I'm just, I'm reliving it again. And it, it's, you know, I really, I thought about talking about it on here. I didn't think it was going to be as devastating, you know, reliving it, but it's equally, maybe, maybe even if not more devastating, reliving the situation. Guys, I guess the moral of the story is just fucking, if it's going to happen, just let mom see you naked. Because if you, if you try to hide from it, you're going to probably end up breaking something. And then she's going to see you jumping up and down naked, which is never a good way to see um, one naked. Um, okay. Also guys, um, before we get to the Lance Manion episode, I want to let you guys know that we have finally opened up the complete sentences shop and we don't really have too much on there right now, but we have these pretty awesome, um, silicone wristbands that are tie dye and they have, uh, you know, our, our namesake on them and little peace signs and, and whatever. They're really cool. Anyways, we're selling them for $4.50, and that includes shipping, so we're going to ship them totally for free, and we're going to throw in uh, a sticker with it as well. Now, you can buy the you can buy the bracelet. We also have a sticker set, which contains six stickers for a buck, or you can buy the bracelet sticker set, which is $5. So check it out, guys, at completesentencesshop.jimdo.com. That's completesentencesshop.jimdo.com. Dot com, And, uh, you know, that's the best way to support us right now. Just throw us a couple bucks. We'll be happy to send these over to you because, I mean, really, they cost a lot more than I thought they would. So <laughs> we're going to end up losing out anyways. But I think it's it's they're really cool bracelets. So I would like to share them with people that actually want them. So check them out and, uh, you know, share them with a friend, guys. It would be cool. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break here on CSP. I am going to see what's going on with the Tylenol. And whenever we come back, we're going to be joined by author extraordinaire Lance Mannion. 
Stick around. Caitlin, this song is for you. It's lots of fun. Here's what you do. Caitlin. Hey, did you hear that? The song is singing my name. I just got this new CD and I love the way that it sings my name in every song. I also got this personalized book. It has my name, my friend's names, and it's all about me. I love to read my special book over and over again. Grandma says that she couldn't believe how inexpensive the book and CD were and how it came here so fast, but I don't care about all that. I just know that I love the book and CD, and you will love it too. Well, back to dancing. Caitlin, don't stop now. Keep on moving, I'll show you how. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're back on CSP, and we have with us today one of my favorite guests. He's actually been with us. This is his third appearance. Uh, he's the author of Merciful Flush, Results May Vary, The Ball Washer, Homo Says What a Kiss, The Trembling Fist, and his newest book, The Song Between Her Legs, the one and only Lance Mannion. How are you doing, Lance? Outstanding. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing great, man. It's always great talking to you, catching up a little bit. Well, I, I know. It's been a while. Dude, it has. This is actually... I want to say this is episode 63, and I think the last time you were on was episode 24. Wow. It's been over a year. Time goes so fast. It sure does, man. I saw that, that this book has released now, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it. I mean, uh, the song Between Her Legs, like, I read on your blog that you wanted this book to just scream self-published. Yeah, it, it seems like... Um... Each book now, I put less and less effort into, you know, trying to pretend that it's a, uh, a major bestseller release. So I, I even went with a cover that um, instead of just, you know, what I usually do is I draw it out and then I send it to somebody who actually will turn it into a cover. I just kept the drawing that I did, didn't edit it, and threw it on the, the front, and it could be the worst cover of any book ever published. I, I, I think, I mean... From a from an artistic standpoint, it's very crudely drawn, but I think it's uh, pretty cool looking. In fact, it, it looks like it's uh, just a stick figure drawn on like the front of a notebook, basically. It, it's just that simple, you know. The the idea, I love the idea of making the title the stick figure's legs. <laughs> so after that, I was just like, "Oh, that'll do." And it it looks great, man. And for anybody that I mean, let alone wants to read it, wants to check out the cover, go to lancemania.com, and the dude's giving it away for free ebook download. Yeah, I did that with uh, the ball washer, and um, you know, instead of you know dozens and dozens of downloads when people pay for it, now it's thousands and thousands. So uh, I think in the long in the long run, that's probably a better approach for an unknown author than you know 
pretend that I have uh, teeming masses waiting to spend good money. And I feel like really it kind of fits a theme that sort of goes along with the book, too. I mean, not just the cover, but also a lot of the stories that are referenced in it. And even the uh, the blog entry that I was reading on your on your website, Viva la Revolucion. Yeah, I like the, the for the Spanish readers. Yeah, I like to add a little bit of French into my Spanish, actually, as well. So I uh, I hit the I hit the Spanish words with a little French flair to it. Well, I'm glad you read it. The um, the whole principle behind that that blog was, you know, supporting the the self-published movement. I think you know what you see now is it's no longer that scarlet letter. Um, although I do get a, a, some reviewers who return, uh, you know, an email saying that they don't review self-published stuff. So of course, then I alienate them forever by you know comparing them to dinosaurs and wishing bad things upon them. But you know, the idea now that um, it is easy to get published and it, it is easy to, to find an audience now. And, and I, I don't want to run from that anymore and pretend to be something, you know, that I'm not. And for publishers to say that they don't review like self-published works, I mean, don't you think that that's just them being afraid? They, they, they just want to make a bunch of money and they don't want to they don't want to cost themselves anything. Wouldn't you say that's kind of what's going on there? Oh, absolutely. They're protecting their ass. I, it's it's you've got this this big industry that churns out garbage, but you know the, it scares them. You know I think we even mentioned back in the uh, the 20s episodes, you know that, that that podcasters are terrifying radio stations, and the music industry is is terrified of the ability for bands to get on YouTube and and present their music. The the, the corporate interests uh, eventually are no longer going to be served. You're going to have uh, a lot of people selling uh, a lot of low numbers instead of one person selling a million. Uh, and that, to me, that's a very healthy thing. To them, that's death because then they can't make any money on it. It is crazy, really, like thinking about the, the age that we live in now, the fact that a kid on YouTube, if he's got hits, he's got power, really, you know, and he can he can make other he can make the big businesses look shitty. And I mean, it's people telling the truth now. It's finally the truth has come out. Yeah, I think the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, the, the big fear I have uh, is, is, though, that they're going to impose the rules on us where people will really, you know, value their work based on the number of downloads or hits or listeners, as opposed to just enjoying the process uh, of creation. You know, once it's done, that is in and of itself a great thing. Whether anybody downloads my books or not, I could care less. You know, the, the act of creation, pretending I'm an author, you know, posting it out there and then having these wild fantasies of popularity, that's all it needs to do. Um, I, you know, I'm always telling people to, to self-publish, start podcasts, you know, Viva La Revolution, but don't get dragged down by, you know, being measured by other people. That's what, you know, the industry wants to say. You know, they want to have bestsellers and losers as opposed to uh, thousands and thousands of people communicating. And I couldn't agree more. And if you if you get into it for fame and glory and for wanting a, a bunch of money, you're pretty much dead in the water. You really have to because I mean, even people that that are putting out a heartfelt you know product, they're still going to get haters. It's still going to happen. You know, I know a lot of people that start a podcast. They get people like shitting all over them, and then they just stop because they can't take it. They they should revel in that because the people who are shitting on them. Those are the unhappy people, and they're going to shit on anything, especially if you start to get successful. Like, you know, obviously you guys are doing real well. You know, people are starting to listen, starting to be, you know, tune in. 
So, of course, you're going to have an avalanche of shit from people who are envious of that, who didn't start their own podcast, or, you know, maybe their podcast sucks. You know, so they're going to do everything they can to diminish your enjoyment. And, and that that's just the worst. Well, and it always kind of cracked me up, too, whenever you're listening to, like, terrestrial radio, and they'll say something shitty about, um, you know, podcasts or even, like, you know, like even like satellite radio, just something that is not the normal tune into a radio and listen to what we play. I, I love the fact that it's it's almost like they're 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 taking them to that level. You know, they're just saying, hey, this is up here with us, but it's it's shitty. So you don't have to listen to it. It's like you can tell they're scared. Oh, and the arrogance, you know, sitting there saying, oh, they're doing a podcast out of their basement without realizing that some of the best conversations I ever had were, were in basements, you know, that. That's where people are talking. And, and for them to, you know, for them to be scared of that is probably smart for them to shit all over it. In, in the long term, I think podcasts are going to have a long memory when it comes time for all these bad DJs, uh, you know, trying to start their own podcast in a few years. Oh, right. And then and then you have the podcast moguls that are out there right now. That's just companies that are grabbing celebrities that you kind of think, hey, you know, I might like to hear what they say. Some of them, not so much, but they put them all in one big corral and then they they do all the legwork and then they release these podcasts. That's kind of what I'm seeing now. Well, cause like you said, it's all dollars and, you know, and, and that's not where any of this comes from. Nobody's writing obscure books or doing podcasts to get rich and famous. We're, we're just doing it because, you know, that's what we enjoy doing. So you get these corporate people. And, and one of the stories I, in my book is uh, I, I called for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to be burnt to the ground. I was actually going to bring that up to you. That was that was one of the ones I read. And it said right, right in you're maybe into the first paragraph. And it says, I'm calling for everyone to burn down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> Yeah, that's everything I hate about, you know, music and, and, and the corporate entities that control it. It's like the Anarchy Club. Drives me crazy, but it's the same type of thing. Untalented bean counters trying to control something. And, and the fact that, you know, bands buy into this bullshit drives me, it's really disappointing. You know, rock and roll is supposed to be about rebellion, and here you are slapping it on lunch pails and having these, you know, jam sessions on HBO. It, to me, it's just pathetic. I'm waiting for somebody to tell them to go stick it, you know, instead of accepting the invite and, and you know, sitting on this stage and, you know, being turned into a bust somewhere in Cleveland. It's sad. And I think, yeah, a lot of the people that are just kind of biting their lip and accepting it, acting like it's something prestigious, they're people that are worried about their brand. But I don't know if you watched, I, I watched the induction ceremony last year, and I think it was last year that Rush finally made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after like 40 plus years of being an awesome band. Did you see that? Um, no, I'm not, not a big fan of that. Although okay. Rush, I, I should have tuned in and given them the do, but. After 40 years, they should have told him to stick it. Well, that's pretty much what happened. Um, Alex Leafson, the guitar player, I mean, it, it was it was obvious that there was a little bit of bad blood there because they're like, come on, guys, like, you're going to let all these other bands in before Rush. Well, Alex Leafson gets up there, and his acceptance speech is literally just saying blah, 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 blah for 10 minutes, and then he left the stage. Yeah, who are they to let anybody in? You know, like, to sit there and try to judge rock and roll, it's the same thing. I love garage rock. I love you know, unknown, unknown bands. I listen, there's a radio station in Princeton, WPRB, that I, I just can't listen to enough. And none of those bands are ever going in any Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but 
to me, that's the vibe that music's supposed to have. You know, you don't even want to get me started on music right now. Music is such a disappointment. What what the mainstream music is right now that that people are trying to shove down your throat. It's just a fucking joke. It's it's literally the whore of the month club. You know, you get some, you know, eighteen or nineteen year old girl, make her famous, and then trash her a few years later. You know, ride that roller coaster again and again. And and the music itself is so bad. It's unlistenable, but it sells, you know, tens of millions of copies. It's definitely over my head. It makes me feel like, you know, I'm an old guy that just doesn't get it. But I'm 25 years old, man. I should be like in the peak of like what's what's coming at me right now. But I'm trying to duck and listen to, you know, rock and roll from like the 70s and 80s. And that's why, you know, my my biggest point to all of this is really to try to inspire other people to do it. I look at like podcasts like you and, and writers like me. We're like the old NFL players in 20 years podcasts are going to be rampant self-published authors are going to be making you know um, thousands and millions of dollars and we're going to be the ones who didn't get paid and have back injuries and you know can't uh, hold our children with our gnarled hands that's where it's going and, and and i just don't want anybody who's thinking about doing a podcast or writing a book to be dissuaded by you know corporate interests put it out you know write it down get it out if only five people read it you've you know you've added your drop of water in the ocean of, of culture. I just have a, a picture in my head of like people like, you know, you and I and, and even Ty were, were being interviewed in documentaries about, you know, the gold rush of the of the podcast independent writer scene, you know, from the from 2014. And, you know, everybody's looking at us kind of sadly because we're the ones that, that didn't make the money, you know, but we're still here talking about it. I just have this this envision. Yeah, they'll, they'll shuffle us out, you know, at, at award ceremonies. <laughs> and stick us back in the closet. Well, while we're on the topic here a little bit, I kind of wanted to uh, to ask if if you had any opinion on this. Um, there's something going on in the podcast community about this patent troll. Have you heard anything about this? Just rumblings, but you know you can definitely clarify it for me. Well, it's yeah, it's it's these. Uh, well, there's people that buy up these patents, and it's for all kinds of shit, and they call them patent trolls. But there's one in particular that's. By that's that claims that they have the patent for putting out episodic um, audio files online, and they're trying to sue. They went for Adam Carolla because he was like the the biggest podcast they could get a hold of, and they're basically suing him for the right to own podcasting. and And any podcaster, if they win this lawsuit, any podcaster is going to have to pretty much pay dues to this patent owner. So everybody's kind of fighting this fight right now. I mean, that just shows how horrible people are. This person trying to make money off of the efforts of other people. I mean, it, it really is disgusting. Oh, and it's not even like people that are, you know, podcasting that are putting their hearts into into this for, and they're, you know, I'm, I'm spending money out of my pocket. I'm not making any money from this. And not only are it, is it podcasters, but how many hundreds of millions of people are getting enjoyment, at least, from a podcast that they listen to for free? Why would somebody want to put the kibosh on that, man? People suck. I mean, that's the uh, that must be the uh, the theme from today's uh, conversation is people yeah. suck. <laughs> yeah, well, the pre-conversation. It's, it's trying to patent exhaling. You yeah. patent, you know, podcasting. Oh, you can inhale all you want. Just if you exhale, you have to give me $5. Oh, man. Well, if somebody finds a way, that'll be next, dude. Guarantee it. I don't think I've I've written a book that didn't blast lawyers at one time or another. I can't help it. They drive me crazy. Well, 
so going going back to kind of how you said you know that you decided this time you were just going to put the cover art out there and just leave it as it is would you say like at the beginning when you decided to first get into actually writing books and publishing them yourself did you kind of did you try to go towards like hey maybe i can you know be like a mainstream writer or something did you have like visions of that at first or well, I, I think you're, you you know you'd be lying if you if you didn't say in the back of your head you know oh i think everybody in the planet would love this well the truth is if i ever sold a million copies of the new book the next day there would be riots outside bookstores as hundreds and thousands of people went to return the book you know, it took a couple books for me to realize, you know, just how odd and stupid the stories are. And the, the first two books I put out, I didn't even edit. I just put them out as is with, with all sorts of, you know, typographical errors and syntax was all over the place. The third book, The Ball Washer, I, I hired somebody to edit it. I hired somebody to do a cover. And there was that creeping feeling like, OK, this is going to be the big one. And then um, every book since has been a little less as I continue to put them out, but, you know, do less and less work as far as trying to appeal to the uh, the masses. Well, and I think that that's, that's definitely added a charm to the books. And if if I were to be walking through a bookstore and something that, you know, if, if something was on the bookshelf that looked like it didn't have a lot of effort put into it and it looked like it, it didn't go through everybody's hands in a publishing company – and it just looked like it was just the ramblings of a madman, that would kind of be something that would intrigue me, definitely. R.E.M. had this song, and, and the guy's name um, eludes me, but it was basically this guy who wrote a book called uh, something like Life and How to Live It, and he published or he printed up a 1,000 copies of it, and then he put it in his closet, and that's where they found them after he was dead. And there's just something very charming about that story. You know, I haven't gone to that extreme but, you know, the next book I may just, you know, print up and stick in my closet. Oh, you definitely should, especially after your sixth book. It might be time to write one and just tuck it away somewhere. Well, I think just for credibility, my next book I'm going to write is going to be my 10th book. And then if it catches on, I will go back and later write seven through nine and fill in the gaps. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like a uh, like a Star Wars episode one type thing. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, when I when I put out the press releases and I you know talk to folks like you and try to pitch them on having me come on. You know, it always sounds better that, you know, his sixth book as opposed to his first. So I'm like, maybe next time it'll be his 20th or 30th. And, you know, then I can just walk right on to the Tonight Show. That's fucking brilliant, man, because really it's just a number, you know, and people are just like, oh, my God, his 20th. Like, yeah, well, that's just what this is my 20th. You know, next one I'm going to I'm going to do my 19th and then maybe my 12th after that. Cause that number sounds good. Well, that's what I, I get contacted by these these, you know, publicity guys who, who say it's easy to have a bestseller. You know, to, to actually get that, you know, in front of your book, you just have to release it like midnight, January 2nd. You know, there's all these goofy, like semantic things. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to fool somebody and, and think the ball washer was a bestseller. But I mean, that's why you can't believe anything you read. You know, when, when you see, you know, bestselling author, that just means they, they spun it or they released it, you know, at one in the morning, you know, in, in you know, Panama City somewhere to get into a technicality. The whole system is flawed. I mean, just say I was a publisher or something, and then you told me that, you know, this is your 20th book, and I do the math, and I'm like, well, wait, I only see six books here. And you're like, yeah, but this is my number 20. I would kind of look at you, and I would, I'd be like, okay, this is a creative dude. I think this is somebody that I maybe would want writing for my company. You know? Well, I like the fact in your, um, in your email reply to me, you said that you like the um, uh, a good book, something like uh, 
uh, book should start with a good quote. Oh, right off the bat, dude, that killed me. And I thought, if somebody gets that, they're probably going to enjoy the book. I'm picturing 90% of people just not even, you know, understanding the quote. Well, I actually, I, I took down a couple quotes that, uh, that I like so far as I've been reading it. Um, and if I could just read you just a couple of my favorite quotes so far. I really liked, um, a really smart frog is still not as smart as a really dumb raccoon. Well, I, you know, I don't want to offend the frog lovers in the audience. So, you know, that it was a pretty daring statement for me, <laughs> you know, given the rampant popularity of, uh, of, of toads and frogs. But sometimes you have to take a stand. Something that, uh, that kind of touched my heart as well is, is this little quote. Um, being keenly aware of the subtleties of language, I quickly noticed that while my coach instructed the other players to play second base or play center field, I was always asked to go out to left field. I quickly vowed that I would that I would go out there to the best of my ability as to not disappoint them. That pretty much captures my uh, athletic uh, endeavors in one sentence. <laughs> I was I was pushed to the, towards the uh, the world of literature because I was uh, horrible at every sport there was. Although proudly I will say I've never picked up a lacrosse stick. I just you know that's where I draw the line. So far, I am I am thoroughly enjoying uh, the song "Between Her Legs." I, I have it on my iPad here. I downloaded it as soon as I saw it was available, and I'm loving it. And you know, I'm not I I can't blow smoke up your ass and say that you're my favorite writer ever because I I kind of I can't even say I have a favorite writer because it's more like whatever I'm in the mood to read. Like that's my favorite writer at the time. You know. Well, and and it's like songs you know you, you can appreciate all sorts of styles all sorts of musicianship uh, it's the same with literature the only thing that bums me out is is almost every time i'm just releasing a book and you, it's a pain in the ass you know you have to be sending it out and writing letters while i'm doing it i'm reading a book called the confederacy of dunces which is so much better than my book and it's you're like I'm like why can't I read a shitty book while I'm putting out a book? But no, I just stumbled into this book. I was laughing my ass off. I'm like, oh my god, he turned the phrase better than I ever did, you know. And then I'll read a little further. I'm like, oh, that's so much wittier than I've ever been. Yeah. So I guess next next book I'm gonna try to find a real. Maybe I'll uh, look for, uh, you know, Honey Boo Boo's Tell All book. That's probably a better one because even, you know, hearing that some of these you know musicians or actors that put out books, most of them will say. In fact, I've even heard stories, I think from Howard Stern talking about, you know, he wanted his book to be really good. And the publishing company was just like, hey, man, as long as it's like 300 pages, I don't give a shit what's in between the two covers, you know? Well, that's, you know, that, the, the best bit of advice I got, which really, you know, confirmed how I wanted to move forward was uh, a literary agent uh, replied to me and said, like the book, get famous doing something else, and then we can get you a book deal. <laughs> And that was, I mean, she, she was basically saying that what's in the book is completely meaningless. You know, they're looking for famous people who are writing a book, and then it doesn't matter what. So if I go murder somebody, or, you know, if I get gang raped in a prison, you know, and, and make the nightly news, boom, she will take my call. I could write the great American novel, and nobody's going to give me the time of day. It's so fucked up, man. Like, that, and that alone... There's not going to be any new, you know, Stephen Kings or, you know, any 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 new awesome authors like that because they're just looking to sell the books. They want something that's going to trend on Twitter. And, you know, Linda Hogan's going to write about Hulk Hogan's divorce. And, and to know that she will sell more books in the first day than I do my entire career 
that is, you know, that's a sobering thing to uh, to internalize. Well, like you said in your latest blog post, I do feel like it's all going to change. You know, the the barbarians are at the door, man. I, I could not agree more. Well, you look at Stephen King's a good example, but you've got websites like Creepy Pasta now, where people are contributing, and there may not be somebody like Stephen King making a million dollars, but there's some great stories there, and if you and if you want to get the shit scared out of you, you can find something there. So. Again, I think that in the long term, um, people will find their audience. You know, if you want to find a book, um, you can find it now. And, and if you want to write a book, there are people that are probably looking for it. That's that's really interesting, too, that you bring up the creepypasta thing, because a lot of people don't even think about that as just being, you know, independent entertainment for free. That's just coming from minds of kids in their basement, basically. But. Ty and I have talked about um, a bunch of creepypastas on previous episodes, and I'll tell you what, man, there have been some creepypastas that have scared me way more than fucking reading Carrie or Cujo. Yeah, and, and, and like you said, nobody's, like, caring about claiming responsibility. It's just everybody's contributing. And I actually submitted one, and they put it on crappy pasta. <laughs> Apparently they were not fans of Lance Manion's horror ability. What what was the premise behind the Lance Manion creepypasta? Um, it was, uh, what the hell was the name of it? It was basically this guy who has um, um, lives in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, and he wakes up to find um, footsteps in the snow coming to his front door, but no footsteps leaving. So the long and the short of it was that he went to a website. Uh, it was, the, the story was called The Deep, Deep Dark Web. It was in my uh, – actually, I think it's in this book. It is. I saw, I saw that. I haven't read that one yet, but I have seen that one in the yeah, table of contents. Yeah, basically him just you know, going through the uh, – you know, freaking out because he went to these websites that he shouldn't have gone to. You know, uh, underneath the web, there's the, uh, the dark web where all you know, the, the sadists and freaks post stuff. So he started poking around there, and when he went up – he woke up the next morning, there were these footsteps to his door. And then, you know, I, I won't ruin it for the millions of people who are scrambling to download it, but, you know, he, he follows these footsteps and then has one of those, you know, the end of the shining type moments. Apparently it was pretty crappy. It wasn't creepy. <laughs> well, it sounds it sounds interesting because if that if you had written that in 1989, that would have been a straight to TV movie. You would have probably made, you know, at least 500 grand off of it and people would would know the story. Well, like you look at Stephen King, one of his books, The Night Shift, was a collection of short stories and was a huge motivator for me to realize, you know, how poignant a short story can be, how much you can pack in if you let the reader imagine things for himself. And I think maybe there was maybe 30 stories in there. There's got to be 15 movies out of that one book. If you look at the number of movies that came out of one collection of short stories, I think he took all of them from every other short story writer. That's why there's no other short stories being made in the movie. <laughs> that bastard stole them all. Okay, so after, I mean, this being your your sixth, going on your twentieth book. I mean, do you see? Do you find that you're kind of maybe where you want to be as an author at this point? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've got my little crowd of people that um, you know look forward to reading them, uh, give me nice feedback, and that's all I you know that's all I'm aspiring to. It seems that, you know, the longer I do it, the, the less I'm trying to get out of it. I just enjoy it. Uh, and, it, you know, Facebook is actually depressing me because they changed all the rules um, trying to get money out of, you know, people who put their writer sites on Facebook. 
So now there's very few views where it used to be I would post something and a thousand people would see it. Now 50 people see it. So that's a little depressing because for a while I had a really nice community and, you know, was, was talking to a lot of different people and even, you know, wannabe writers that were asking for advice and stuff. But now Facebook's sort of going down the toilet. But, you know, I, I've done what I've wanted to do. Um, now it's just a matter of, you know, just cranking the same stuff out. Yeah, Facebook, Facebook kind of sucks now. And, you know, we kind of even stopped paying attention to, to uploading stuff on Facebook because, I mean, that's a good place to post shit if, like, you want your Aunt Barb to like it and share it on her page. But it's just there's it's not there, man. Like, the, the people are not there. You got to go to other sites if, if you want to attract people that are going to be into whatever you're giving out. Yeah, I'm still trying to find what that site is for me. I, I have friends that do really well with Tumblr. I've got people that have, you know, a thousand um, Twitter followers, and, and I'm a, you know, dismal failure in both of those. Yeah, uh, Twitter. I think. I mean, we're we're doing good with Twitter, but the the thing is, you just gotta you gotta be willing to put work into it. Like with you self publishing your stuff. I mean, I'm sure that everything that gets done on the Lance Mannion front is done by Lance Mannion, and that's. You know, same with us over here. If somebody's, whether it be somebody buying something from from our little shitty store that we have set up, I mean, I'm licking the stamp, I'm kissing the envelope before I drop it in the mailbox. Like, it, it doesn't go through anybody else's hands, man. You just gotta gotta just go well, out there. Definitely not fooling anybody. Like when I put it, when I send my stuff out to reviewers, sometimes just as my own little, you know, joke, I'll have it come from Lance Manion Enter Enterprises. And I'll start with, you know, referring to myself in the second person and then third person. And at the end, you know, it's back to me. So anybody reading it is like, you know, it's either a schizophrenic <laughs> or he's doing this on purpose. Oh, that's a good idea, man. Um, I actually have my girlfriend sometimes, like if, if it's regarding something, like if I'm having stickers printed and I need to call the company, I'll have my girlfriend call and say that she's our intern or something like that just for fun. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. And maybe I'll just, you know, although my voice is high enough, I could probably pull it off anyway. You could, or you could just hire a kid off the street, maybe, and, you know, just have them do it for a couple bucks. With the first book, I printed up all these stickers, and I was going to hire kids to put them all over train stations and bus stations. And I still actually have the box sitting right here, and I never did it because I'm like, ah, I don't, you know, in the end, that, that seems a little pathetic. But for a while, I'm like, that's the ticket. You know, just slather these all over the place. But I think eventually if you put out enough stupid books, if people want to find a stupid book, they'll find it. You know, at, at some point I just have to believe in, in the big picture that, you know, I'll find the people who might enjoy it. And they're out there, man, because I'm, I'm one of them. And I know where you're coming from, too, because sometimes I'll say something that I think in my head is brilliant and it will just be crickets wherever I'm at. And then it makes me kind of question myself. But you're like... I can't dumb it down for this audience, you know, like I have to I have to stick with it because I'm going to find somebody that thinks it's brilliant. And that's the thing, because everything is brilliant to somebody. You know, the worst book in the world has fans. And that's why, you know, maybe it's self-delusion. But, you know, I just can't beat myself up too much when I, you know, the, the first five books had over 80 stories each. So obviously there's going to be at least 10 or 15 that I just think suck out loud in retrospect. I'm like, what was I thinking? But in, in the big picture, I don't know what people will identify with or what they'll, you know, so you just throw it out there. And I've had people come up and say, oh, I love this story. And I'm like, that's the worst story in the book. But, you know, to each their own, I guess. Whenever, whenever you pick up a Lance Mannion book, and I'll, I'll be completely honest with you here, and I would tell anybody this, I've never picked up a Lance Mannion book that I didn't enjoy. 
you know like shit then it's it's definitely it's always an enjoyable experience man and i love just picking it up and i can just i can just flip to the middle because I, for some reason anytime i'm even if i'm listening to an album i always tend to go to the middle cuz i feel like that's where the the deepest you know meat is and if if i if i flip through a lance manion book no matter what the story is i'm going to enjoy it but i want to know like where do these stories come from well first i'll say after the second book that's why i stopped in the paperbacks putting page numbers because i really do want it to be a pick it up anywhere and read a couple stories it's not meant to be read beginning to end i couldn't imagine anything more tedious than having to review a lance manion book because it goes all over it's a perfect bathroom book or a train ride book or at the beach book where you just want to read two or three stories and then you know move on with your day and then as far as where they come from it's I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have those kind of stories run through their head. It's just a matter of bringing a piece of paper and, and, and writing it down as you think it, and then just getting it out, writing it, and then walking away from it. I think most people probably could write a book like that if they had the discipline of stopping what they're doing and, and finding a place to sit down and write it out. Have you, besides you know, always having sort of a flair for writing and being interested in it, have you had any type of like formal training? I mean, besides yeah. like English history or I'm sorry, like English class in high school, anything like that? No, I, I, I got my college degree in economics. So, you know, I, English was never really a, a fun thing for me. I, I read like P.G. Woodhouse and Douglas Adams and, you know, all these things that had nothing to do with real literature. So, you know, it's, I, I've never been attracted to the, uh, the prose side of what I'm doing. Back just saying prose, I want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> well, and um, one more question about the book before we move on to some other topics that I have here. But how exactly? I mean, even though these are self-published books, and and you just kind of you kind of just talk about them just being pieced together on notebook paper and whatnot. Whenever you're holding the paperback, I mean, it is a it's a nice it's a nice quality book, man. Like, how do you go about actually getting these things published into paperback? Well, the first couple books, I, I was just a dumbass, and I paid this company, you know, lots of money to put them out as if they, you know, had some secret formula. Nowadays, you can put everything out through, like, CreateSpace, which is uh, run through Amazon, and it costs you nothing. You, all you have to do is, is format it and send it in. You've got a book. Uh, Smashwords is where I put things out um, for eBooks, and same type of thing. You know, you can either use for people who will format it for you or you can just do it yourself. And all it is is really accumulating um, a lot of material, uh, taking the time or, or partnering up. I have a woman that does my editing now, um, and she's awesome. Like, she'll read all this stupid shit, and she'll tell me what to, you know, to cut and what to keep, and then she'll correct all my horrible English. And literally, that's it. Then you submit it, they approve it, you're published. You know, nobody, nobody judges anything anymore. You know, if, if you want to publish you know, something you've written 10 years ago, in literally a few hours, it can be out there, and then within a few days, people can buy it. And I think that also kind of attributes to what we were talking about earlier with the fact that you can just get all of this amazing content for free. Um, the fact that there are websites out there that allow you to just do this for, you know, little to no cost is because they're making their money from, you know, 
a lot of independent writers or people like you that are just giving this website numbers and then big corporations see, hey, this website has numbers. Let's pay to get our, our logo put on there. So they're paying for that while you're getting everything done for free. And it's the same with like I see T-shirt companies that are kind of aiming towards podcasts where they do everything for you. You create a design and then they sell it for you. They print it for you. They mail it for you. And then they just give you a small percentage of what you would have made. That's kind of where everything's going now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a new world. I mean, it's, it's a great place. I mean, you'll never get rid of, you know, the, the corporations making money, but they're making a lot less and they're controlling nothing. You know, content is now in the hands of, of you, me, or anybody else. You know, the, the pretension of authorship needs to, to go away. You know, you have so many people, you know, pretending to be, you know, these authors and these writers. Bullshit. You sit in front, you type down some stupid words, you release them and hope people like them. You know, there, there's no, you know, magic formula. There's no, you know, godlike abilities. You just have to work your ass off a little and then send it out and hope people like it. I mean, outside of this new book, I mean, if, if the new book would be the answer to you, then then go with it. But I just wanted to ask you if... If someone were to ask you, which I'm sure it's probably been asked before, is like, what is the one Lance Manning book that you would recommend that I read? Is there one that jumps to your head first, or is it just kind of whatever? Except for the fact that it's unedited, I like the first one, just because that was some of the the crudest, off-the-cuff, stream-of-consciousness stuff, and that's what I've always loved doing. Um, the, the hardest thing is to avoid going back and rewriting, you know, changing, adding, switching, Back then, it was purely just I would post it, you know, the next day, you know, I'd write it for the blog, LanceManion.com, post it, and then I wouldn't think about it until it was time to put it in the book. And that first book is just raw um, and, and to me has some of my best stuff, you know, stuff that I'm proud of, uh, you know, some of the phrases and quotes and, you know, there, there was something poignant snuck into even the dumbest story. Which you know, maybe it's the first uh, first one, but you you always like that the best. And I'm actually that the first book would be Merciful Flush, right? That's the first one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting right next to my my paperback copy that I have, and I I love the how in the back you just had just a barrage of quotes that you just kind of took out of the book, and uh, it was it's sort of like you know you read the back of it and it's it's telling on on what's to come inside the book like. You know, sometimes at night I lay there and imagine my face with no skin on it. And that's just a quote that's on the back of the book. It's almost a warning for somebody that if they're trying to, you know, buy uh, the new Dan Brown book or the new Stephen King, that would be the red flag. Like, this is not what I'm looking for. Or for for people like me. Hey, man, I got to check out what what else is inside this thing. Well, and, you know, that's it's the easiest way is just to put it on the cover and, and let people make up their own mind. Because I don't want to, you know, talk down. I love Dan Brown. I read every book he puts out. In fact, um, in one of the books, I, I make fun of myself because he has in, he uses a word like, and then doesn't stop and congratulate himself for working it in. You know, it's like 15 <laughs> syllables, you know, some Latin reference that if I ever was able to work it into a story, the whole thing would grind to a halt as I congratulated myself. But he just threw it down and kept plowing along in the book. So obviously he's a lot better at what he does than I am. So we've, we've talked about the new book, and it truly, I highly recommend, if anybody out there likes what we do to, to some extent, I highly recommend reading, even if you're just a fan of just humorous, humorous observations with a little bit of kind of darkness put in every now and then, I highly recommend this book. Um, but 
I also kind of wanted to get your opinions on, you know, just shit that's going on in the world today outside of entertainment. Like, I'm a stone's throw away from Ferguson, Missouri right now, and I, I think you're, you're in uh, Pennsylvania, am I correct? Yeah, outside Philadelphia. Okay. So, I mean, I'm stuck in this shithole, and, you know, every day I'm just hearing the same thing on, on every news affiliate. I'm just wondering, like, what somebody else from, you know, a different state is kind of thinking right now. Well, let me make it clear. I'm not speaking to the citizens of Philadelphia. This is only, you know, the, uh, you know, the ramblings of a uh, an obscure author. But, and it's very unfashionable right now to be pro cop. But you know, I look at this whole thing as just a huge clusterfuck. You know, you have all these people who are, you know, drinking coffee and buttering their croissant in the suburbs, rolling their eyes and saying, "Oh, how terrible the police brutality," without realizing that. The police are the only fucking thing keeping, you know, the, the rapists and murderers from walking into your house on any given day. So, you know, while I, you know, I can have sympathy for, you know, all these things, when I see looting like that, you know, I have two words, live ammunition. That's my solution. And, and if I have to have one more person get really concerned about the militarization of the police, what do you think they're, they're, they're gearing up for? You're going to have Ferguson in every major city coming up. You've got decaying inner cities. You've got rampant illegal immigration. You know, we're not getting tanks and batons, you know, for fun. I think this is just the beginning of what's going to be a really nasty period in, uh, you know, United States history. And it's, it's so insane to me hearing people all over even the world talking about Ferguson because it's always been part of my lexicon because it's, you know— 10 minutes away and my girlfriend used to work um in an area of ferguson fluorescent that's called cross keys and it's not it has never been a good area like you never think of the ferguson or fluorescent area and think oh hey that's a place where i want to go hang out for a little while my girlfriend worked in a bank of all places so i mean luckily with this successful podcast i was able to to since get her out of that neighborhood, start her a new life. We haven't looked back since. That had a lot to do with your second interview, getting you on the show, you know, for the second time. But I don't want to go there either. But with with this going on in Ferguson, man, like I even heard Kim Jong-un made a statement about Ferguson. And he's saying that this is making the United States the laughingstock of the world. Well, and, and rightly so. I mean, I, I'm not sure where, you know, the United States lost its balls. I mean, to, to sit up there and, and deal with this, you know, st stupidity. I mean, the, everything you hear from the media is bullshit. They're spinning it and spinning it and spinning it. And, and I don't understand why. I don't understand why there's this, you know, wanting to inflame, you know, bad race relations and want to inflame the, you know, the, the inner cities. I, unless they just want to see it all burn. I know that there's got to be a lot of people in Ferguson that are embarrassed and hanging their heads and saying, you know, that this is not representative of, of our, you know, community. Oh, most definitely. All, all I see when I hear Ferguson, I just see hordes of people kicking in windows and stealing rims and, and burning things to the ground. And, and I'm sure that that's not the, the, the picture that they want. Oh, and that's, I mean, just, it's bringing down the entire St. Louis County. Like, it's just making St. Louis in a whole just seem like shit, you know? And it's, it is embarrassing. And to me, I, I mean, whenever people automatically go straight for the race thing, it's not even a race thing to me. It's people that are just looting, you know, store owners for just because they feel like they have a right to do it. That's what pisses me off. And I don't care who's doing it. It just pisses me off. 
I feel well, like my disappointment comes from shows like The Daily Show and, and, and the, the Colbert Show that have this great audience. They have this great staff of writers, but they don't have the balls to tell the truth. They take the path of least resistance. You know, they want to seem like the good guys and, and they're more understanding than now. And nobody has the balls, you know, to, to call, uh, you know, what's going on in there. It's really depressing, to be honest, because, you know, when, especially when you start using comedy as a weapon, that's when you piss people off, or at least comedy people like me. Because comedy is supposed to attack both sides. It's supposed to not care about an agenda. But you've got the, you know, the, the Daily Show constantly, you know, attacking the police, constantly attacking any authority figures. And, and what's the point? They want to see the entire country burn to the ground? And and it's it's not going to stop in Ferguson because I feel like with the you know everybody is saying let the media in like let them put this on Twitter let's let's keep this going which I fully agree if people want to get the word out there what's happening that's perfectly fine but I think as long as there's a spotlight it's not going to change it's going to keep getting worse that the that the whole world's eye is on this one area it's not going to stop and get people like me I would love to go after you know, authority figures. I mean, my whole books are nothing but, you know, trying to take down the authority figures. But give me somebody that I can identify with. When you throw up Michael Brown and Trey Bonds, you're not going to you're not going to win me over. You're, you know, that doesn't represent to me the black community. Those are not innocent, sweet kids. You know, those are criminals. And, and I'm and I, I'm really not going to be, you know, bending over backwards to try to seem, you know, more uh, touchy feely than now. I'm just not. I, you know, I, I want to live in a calm world. You know, I don't want looting. I don't want rioting. I don't want picketing. What's scary to me is the fact that, I mean, I love the fact that everybody at any time can record something with their phone and then they can throw it up on Twitter and then it gets a, a thousand, you know, retweets and then it's trending and everybody knows about it. it goes viral. But the fact that there was a video that just came out the other day the co uh, there was a group of cops obviously walking through this fucking war zone and the one cop you could tell he was scared but at one point he was telling people to back up they would not back up and he points his gun at them and says if you don't back up i will shoot you and they're like oh did you hear that he's gonna shoot me next thing you know that's on twitter everybody's flipping the fuck out and now this cop is forced to retire because he said that yeah, no one identifies that those are people. They're just like me and you who happen to get into law enforcement. They're trying to do their jobs. And if you're sitting in front of a hundred morons who are taunting and screaming and, and literally breaking the law right in front of you, I would imagine that gets pretty old. But, you know, all the hipsters, you know, want to sit there and pretend like, you know, it's this, you know, the fascist police. Well, when I get pulled over for speeding, I'm right on board, fascist police. But at the end of the day, I was going 70 and a 45. Okay, I was being a dick. I take my ticket like a man and I pay it. You know, I'm not going to sit there and start crying and whining about it. The real comedy in life is stuff that isn't written. I could never write as funny a bit as I was listening to, again, WPRB. They had this um, guy who, you know, played rap. And right after this happened, he was on this, you know, diatribe, and he came up with his new rules for young men, and he starts ranting and raving as if it was earth-shattering, and rule number was, number one was don't commit crime. And he said it in, like, this self-important way, like it was a breakthrough. Then he's like, be respectful um, to the police. Don't make, you know, don't attack the police. Like, all these things that every single normal person heard from their parents when they were growing up. 
It wasn't. It's not some secret. It's not racial. It's not religious. It's not sex driven. It's just every single kid was taught. Those are the police. Do what they say. You can't break the law. You know, if they ask you a question, you answer it. You're respectful. The ranting, raving. I, I was literally laughing out loud as I was driving. Going, someone needs for him to sit down and listen to this and realize how stupid he's being. Those are just basic things you do in a civilization. And, it, and if culturally you're so fucked up that you can't piece those simple things together, then we are all definitely screwed. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we, now we're in a culture where, you know, the, there are no boundaries. You know, you can't see, you You look like, you know, you're, you're old-fashioned if you stick up for the police. But, you know, I, I'm definitely not jumping on that uh, bandwagon. And, I mean... You know, I'm I'm not I I don't love the cops. I'm I'm a supporter of them doing their job. That's that's what they're supposed to do. And I know full heartedly that if if I were to resist arrest whenever I got pulled over, you know, and I was in handcuffs, I would have gotten my ass beaten and it wouldn't have been any different. If I would have reached for this cop's gun, I would have got shot. And if anybody watches cops, or as I like to call it, white trash in trouble, I think that's what they should call it. Um it's Which it's one of the greatest shows ever, by the way. Oh, White Trash and Trouble, I love it, dude. And it's people people like that are getting beaten up, and it's not. It doesn't even seem like it's a race thing to me at all, man. If if you resist a cop, they have the right to kick your ass. That's what they do. That's the racism to me. Is when people are, are judging the scene by the color of people's skins. I don't care if a leader is white, black, Chinese, American, Indian. If he's walking out with a flat screen, wing it. You know, let them know that, that, that we, we're a nation of laws. And, and for everybody to see everything or through a prism of race, it's just retarded. I mean, we're, we're heading down such a wrong path. The whole situation scares me, but I, I just wanted to, wanted to hear someone from a different, a different part of America. It's not like you're too far away, but I'm, I've just been living in this shit forever. I can go right down the street to the gas station and talk to the attendant about it and just wanted to see what someone else thought about it. But... I think they need to spend some time and interview people who don't have that opinion. And, and because, you know, you would think that Ferguson is lockstep anti-police, you know, pro-Michael Brown is an innocent, you know, on his knees with his hands in the air. And, and I think that, you know, I think if they were to interview uh, other people from that community and they were to be honest, I think that would go a long way in settling. Like you said, race relations are nowhere near as bad as the racial hustlers want to make them to be. You know, my black friends, have they didn't come up and punch me in the face because of Ferguson. You know, it was awkward, some conversations, because I'm an asshole and I say what I think. But that's really the only hope we have for making any of this better. Even if you say something stupid or if you say something wrong, at least you're talking. At least you're discussing it. Oh, and to be fair, you know, whenever you're an asshole about anything, that'll make any conversation tense. I've had tense conversations with my mom just because I have a tendency to be an asshole about things. Well, in the book, I write things that are particularly assholey for the purpose of starting a discussion or at least making the reader think about something. We're so afraid of, of offense. You know, people don't want to get offended. And I think it's healthy to be offended. It's, a, it's healthy to have, you know, a, a conversation in your own head about what you believe. Because it, it probably changes daily and changes with every news story you get. And if all you get is the horseshit from MSNBC or Fox, you know, one way or the other, I, I think you, you, you become a duller person. I, I think you're less tolerant of other people's opinion. Sometimes you have to hear stupid shit just to rattle something loose in your head. <laughs> Man, and I had one point there too, Lance, and I forgot what it was, damn it. 
to I don't have any points. That makes it a lot easier to talk. I bet yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, I think I'm going to have to let that one go, man, because I think it's gone now. You can always edit it back in. Hey, that's right. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to edit it. If I were you, I would be constantly peppering all the broadcasts (laughs) with these brilliant quotes, you know, as if I knew them. But I would just go back later and and read them, you know, aloud and then make it look like I slipped them into the conversation. Use a different tone of voice. Just cut Lance off mid-sentence and then come in with a deeper voice. And then everybody will be picturing you with a pipe, yeah. you know, as you sit back and uh, by the fireplace. Oh man, that's 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 a great idea, dude. I really need to do that. That and sound effects. Sound effects. I I have dabbled in sound effects. Um, I feel like if I I need to have just a big soundboard in front of me where I can just push these buttons because I feel like after it's it's not in that moment, then the kind of cachet is lost, and then whenever I go back to and listen to it, I can't find just the perfect point. Well, in a way, that's that's why I write like I do. Most of the times you go back, you just screw it up anyway. Well, let's move on to, to one more topic because I can't we're, – we're just a couple of white guys, you know. I mean, well, I think you're you're a Native American, right, or you're some type of Asian. My audience. Okay. <laughs> um, last time we had you on the show, we were celebrating – I think it was the first ever Have Sex with an Ugly Person Day. Yes, um, April 2nd. Yeah, that was, that was the inaugural day. Um, since there has been another one and i just kind of wanted to know how did that one turn out and are we looking at a third one coming up if you thought the first event was greeted with apathy you should have seen the second one <laughs> now, it's uh it was funny and i did a couple uh, interviews about it uh, wrote it up uh it's really just a, a chance for uh obscure uh publications to rip me and make fun of me for such a horrible idea which they don't realize that's exactly what I'm doing. You know, that's why I'm doing it for. I did have somebody do a uh, um, one of these, like, you know, e-television knockoffs yeah. where they were discussing it on a panel, and one of them said he knew for a fact that I was a model. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, that's, that's good publicity, though, dude. I'm like, well, first of all, I love it, because then, you know, all the female readers are going to picture this hunky Lance Mannion. But, I mean, for him to say something like that was so stupid. I don't think they make a product. Maybe I'm a mask model. Even if uh, the ladies see you and they're expecting, like, a model and you don't quite meet their standards, hey, at least you have six books to put in front of them and say, I've written all these books, ladies. Six, soon to be ten. They're Exactly. So, man, I think just having one book, if I could just show people a fucking book that I put together and it looks professional, I think that that's, you know, probably enough for most ladies. Yeah, their standards are pretty low. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> well, Lance, if you can believe it, man, we've been talking for an hour at this point. Um, I know. I feel like we haven't even started the real questions, that this is, you know, just the uh, the introductory banter. Oh, I know. And that's how most of my interviews feel like, really. People are like, well, when are you going to start asking the questions? Like, well, that's all that I have. That's good. That, that way uh, it doesn't feel uh, dull or forced. Right. No, and... You know, that's that's the best way to do it. And I feel like we have we have hit all the topics here, man. I mean, we went over your new book and some of my favorites, some of my favorite stories and quotes out of it. We've we've tackled racism, which I think is a huge problem. Um, yeah, we solved that nicely. I'm sure people will appreciate that. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, and it doesn't it suck that, like, we're speaking heartfelt and we're not we're not singling anyone out. But there are going to be people that are really angry about it. It's just there's just so much anger out there. Good, fuck them. If people, if people want to be angry, I guess maybe that's the first step. 
but just don't be stupidly angry. You know, think it through. Don't throw bricks through, you know, uh, the front of shopping centers and, and just realize everybody's just out there doing the best they can. That store you just burned to the ground, that was somebody's business that they worked their life to build up. That cop that you just shot, that, that guy has a family. He's just a schmuck like we are. Uh -huh. You know, nobody's perfect. Are there asshole cops? Of course. Are there asshole criminals? They're all asshole criminals. Have some sympathy for your fellow man for the love of whatever you love. There's, there's definitely a lot of problems in the world today. I think we can both agree that if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame gets burned down tomorrow, no one's going to be crying for it to be rebuilt. I think that's okay. one thing people can take away from this. That needs to be the first step. White people and black people holding hands together, throwing Molotov cocktails through that piece of shit in Cleveland. You want to talk about a kumbaya moment? That'll bring people together. Well, if, if you ever get that set up and you have a celebration of that, I would like to be there live and I'm going to bring my microphone. I want to share that moment. Maybe I need like April 3rd. April 2nd, have sex with an ugly person day. Then April 3rd, we burn down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Or you can find, yeah, definitely. And then every year you can find a new different bullshit, you know, museum or company or anything like that and just uh, spread the hate to them too. Yeah, I come off pretty angry in this. It's, uh, you know, I'm really not an angry person, I don't think anyway. The thing I've realized about that is you never get an, a beautiful, well, for most people, you don't get a beautiful idea and like, hey, I'm going to share that with my friends. You get fucking pissed about something, you go on a rant, and you're like, people have to know about this. That's how I am, at least. Well, and, and it's probably a lot more dangerous for you because you're on the air, and as soon as you say it, it's done and it's out there. Yeah. You know, if you talk enough, if anybody talks enough, they're going to say something offensive, and most of the time, they probably don't even believe it themselves. That's why no one says a word. They're so scared of, of saying something wrong. I think it, people just say something wrong, say something stupid, offend people. You know, people need to get thicker skins and open up their ears, and all these stupid problems and miscommunications will go away. And if it doesn't, we can just say, hey, it's just comedy. You know, it's just it's all comedy. It's from the guy who wrote The Ball Washer. That's what the world needs. <laughs> oh. I wonder what his opinion on race relations is. Let's <laughs> ask him. He clearly is such a serious guy. Well, that's why I wanted to, to tackle it with you. I thought, who better? Who better than the author of Homo Says Whatacus? Yeah, I mean, uh, that hard-hitting, uh, you know, author, that intellect. Well, Lance, I've kept you for over an hour at this point. Um, I would really like to thank you for coming back. And, I mean, I... I well, thank you. I appreciate being able to, uh, to pimp the new book. Hey, man, no problem. I would, I would be sharing it even if you weren't on the podcast because I really, like I said, I have not picked up a Lance Manion book that I have not enjoyed. And for you to give it away for free as an ebook download on LanceManion.com, you know, why wouldn't you check it out? Just, just go do it. And then maybe I'll do a book signing in Ferguson. <laughs> I think the Barnes & Noble's down now. but it's super. Yeah, but you could maybe just set up shop on the street. There seems to be a, a lot of people there that might like it. I don't know. <laughs> then I can contact that agent that because I'm famous because I would be that obscure author that was uh, beaten to death in Ferguson at his book signing. So, Lance, uh, I really hope we'll do this again. I'm sure we will at this point. I mean, you've, you've been the... Uh, the most returned guest on CSP, and uh, you're one of our favorites to have on, man. So thanks so much for the time. Thank you, and uh, anytime you're uh, you're short a guest, you know my now you know my Skype. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know anytime you want, just let me know. Awesome. Yeah, the the audio quality I'm sure sounds a, a way lot better. And whenever I'm actually I'm actually in the works of um, 
flying out to Germany here sometime within the next few months, and maybe uh, Ty and I will sit down at the same computer and we'll do a, a live CSP with Lance Mannion just like old times. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. All right. Well, we'll, we'll put that down on the calendar. Until then, guys, go to LanceManning.com, check out the song Between Her Legs for a free ebook download, or hell, go, on, go all out and buy the paperback for $9.99. There's nothing, nothing more satisfying than holding a paperback book. And I'm sure Lance will, Lance will even write his old signature on it maybe if you request it. Yeah, I, I would probably do almost anything to get you to buy a paperback because then I actually make some money on it. And there's nothing wrong with uh, making a couple bucks doing something you love. No, I could, one day I could break even. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back after this. And uh, just thanks for coming on, Lance. Really appreciate it. Thank you much. Every morning when I wake up, I wash my hands. Then I have some food, and then I wash my hands. Then I take a shower, wash my hands, and then wash my hands. And then Mommy tells me my hands are clean. And then I wash and wash and wash my hands. Then I touch a football, and I wash and wash and wash and wash. And I watch my sister washing her hands, and I get an idea to wash my hands. And I wash and wash and wash, but I never get clean. The shame never seems to scrub off. Right, gang well that just about wraps things up here for episode 62 i want to give a big shout out to lance Mannion once again for coming on it's always great talking to him and if you haven't yet check out one of his books i mean three of them on his website at lancemanion.com are free ebook downloads there's no reason to not check them out you got the ball washer homo says what a kiss and his newest book the song between her legs all free so if you want to start somewhere i would start there and then also $9.99 for a paperback, it's super cheap, man. There's nothing cooler than actually holding, you know, just an old school paperback in your hand and uh, reading a book, shove it in your back pocket, do whatever you got to do with it. Um, LanceManion.com. Also check out his Twitter, at LanceManionBlog. And uh, share it with a friend. He's a, he's a really good author and he's just a great dude. All right, guys, tune in next week. I'm going to have a St. Louis band. Uh, their name is Human Pollution. We're going to talk about a lot of shit, and there's also going to be a live performance, so that's going to be really fun. So uh, check back with me then. Until then, I got to go um, dip my foot in some aloe and get this toe thing and try to try to forget the memory of my mom looking at me naked. So I'm going to do that. It's probably going to take me about a week to get over that. So next time um, you guys tune in, I should be over it, and we will be good to focus on the next distraction that's going to that's gonna destroy me. All right, guys, have a great week, and I love you. You have just listened to Complete Sentences with Ty and Rocky K. Please feel free to email us at completesentencespod at gmail.com.